When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome into the latest Gators Online podcast, coming to you live from Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. I'm Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by Nick Del Torre. We missed you guys last week, but we're going to make up for it today. We have two guests on today's show as we preview for the LSU. One, Billy Embody from On3 to talk about the Tigers and our... You'll recognize the other voice. Other guest is uh, quite the fan favorite, uh... And he will be in a new role this weekend as the honorary Mr. Two-Bits. That is, the one and only Mick Hubert is going to be live with us on the Gators Online podcast via Zoom. So you guys get to watch him, hear from him. He's got some interesting stories to tell. Uh, and, and, and has a great time kind of looking back on his uh, career as voice of the Gators um, so look forward to visiting with Mick and also getting that perspective from Billy on this week's matchup against LSU, a rivalry renewed in the swamp, Nick. Yeah, and uh, this is one of my favorite games, and oh. I, I don't know how long how long it'll be, an annual rivalry. Oh, no, don't with, say that. Yeah, that hurts my heart, but uh, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to stop playing Georgia, you're going to stop playing Tennessee? They're going to get rid of Florida, LSU, yep. and they're going to get rid of Florida, Tennessee. I don't know how you get rid of Florida, Tennessee. I mean, they got to keep Florida, Georgia. Figure it out. Figure it out. Figure it out. Do it live. (laughs) Um, But it's a really interesting series. I think normally, obviously not this year, but normally the teams are ranked. Both teams ranked inside the top 20 or at least one of them. Um, Historically, it's a very close game. Um, I think the only of the last nine, I think the only non-one-score game was – the game where Joe Burrow and LSU yes. went undefeated, and that game Although, was a lot closer was, than the final score. It was a one-score game for most of it. It was a lot closer than the final score. Um, so it, it's just a, a physical football game. Um, it's crazy. There, I mean, the over-the-head, no-look-behind-the-back fake field goal in 2010 mm. of football is an oblong leather thing filled with, with air that is not supposed to bounce like a basketball. It just bounces up into the kicker's stomach. Les Miles um, voodoo. Les Miles is eating grass. Going, Jacob Hester's converting on 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 kicks. There's a 98 yard touchdown pass from a Purdue quarterback. Um, Tyree you know, Cleveland. You know, so there's just some weird stuff. Brad uh, Stewart's pick six. Brad Stewart's pick six. It, it, this is just a really cool game, and uh, I think we need to enjoy it while uh, we still can. And even the last two years, uh, obviously, you get the. Breakout performance from Anthony Richardson in Death Valley off the bench. It turns into a shootout. Edo was already fired. Edo was already fired, and they still find a way to win for him. Um, and then the last time the Tigers came to the swamp, you get the fog game and the shoe toss and Florida's season basically being derailed um, in their regular season finale, a game that had been rescheduled uh, because of COVID. So just a, that was a weird matchup. And Probably going to be some weird things that happen uh, on Saturday night in the Swamp. Another sellout. A big recruiting weekend for the Gators as well. This will be their first time 
hosting official visits for the fall. I wrote a story uh, with some comments from Katie Turner talking about why the Gators held off until this weekend. So make sure you go to Gators online to check that out and take advantage of our flash sale, folks. Right now you can sign up mm -hmm. for just $1 for the whole month or get the whole year for 10 bucks. And there's going to be a ton of recruiting content coming from Corey this weekend what, 100-plus prospects in town? Yeah, 100-plus I mean, prospects in town. As we're filming, Bryce Thornton uh, announces his commitment, so that's already one commitment today on Thursday before. I think Florida fans can be expecting another one before the game. Dejon um, Johnson. So you're going to get uh, a lot of and, – and then, obviously, you're getting some in-season recruiting, but then we've got Todd Golden era starting. Tom uh, Petty Day. Tom Petty Day. Baseball season is starting, uh, and then as soon as football season is done, you've got the push towards the early signing day. So there's not a better time uh, than right now to commit to Gators Online. As Zach already said, it's two Starbucks Frappuccinos, and you get an entire year of coverage. <laughs> you can't beat that. And, and, and obviously, you can't beat where this, this kind of rivalry ha has been at. And uh, it's, there's going to be some shakeups this week for Florida's lineup. Uh, we, we learned the depth chart for week mm -hmm. seven um, on – after Wednesday night's practice and um, some changes there. I think some, you know, a long time coming, but now official. The Gators have uh, shaken some things up with the running back depth chart. They have a new RB1, and that's Montrell Johnson, who's averaging eight yards per carry, which ranks six nationally. He's just been uh, dominant in the first half of this season and uh, just celebrated his birthday today. So a nice uh, birthday present from Billy to give him the starting job. But, not just him, another Louisiana native, uh, Trevor Etienne, is now the backup running back on the depth chart. What so. a week! What a week to have a couple of Louisiana natives uh, yeah. ascend the, the depth chart. Then, of course, another Louisiana native that all eyes will be on Saturday is Osiris Torrance, who is questionable for this game. Uh, Nick had a little bit of intel on his story on Gators Online about what what he potentially could be going through, but. Um, if he cannot play, that's certainly a big blow for the Gators in terms he, of their run game. He hasn't been their best offensive lineman, their best offensive player. He's been their best player. And I think that was a question because he was so good at UL. Yeah. All right, well, how are you going to handle the bigger, faster, stronger interior defensive lineman? He's um, done it. And, and he's done it, hasn't missed I mean, a beat. Pro Football Focus has him graded out as the top interior lineman in the country mm -hmm. through the first half of the season and has Ventrell Miller – Shout out to 51, graded as the top linebacker in the country. Um, just send that man on the ceremony right now for the Buckus. He better be there. Bro, he will tackle the guy presenting the trophy. He better be all SEC. Um, and if he keeps playing like he's playing. You're trying to give him a brick? He, he, might be might be in All-American territory. Um, so it just he had an incredible performance. I'm not going to get too much into the uh, Missouri game because – Gator fans will worry about the other Tigers uh, from the SEC this week. But um, the performance, certainly from the from the running backs, uh, they kind of came alive in the second half. And then Ventro Miller's performance kind of carried the Gators along with uh, Jaden Hill. So uh, now they come into this matchup against LSU. Anthony Richardson coming off a, a season low, should I say, 66 yards passing. Nick, what are you feeling in this game? I know Florida's the favorite, but... As you mentioned, this is a rivalry. This is Florida LSU, and uh, I think there's there's going to be some stakes uh, in the swamp on Saturday night, despite these teams not being ranked. Yeah, I think uh, Florida hasn't been great against the run, but LSU can't run. Hmm. Um, and, and I don't know that Jaden Daniels is going to beat you with your arm. I think if Florida 
is going to be honest with themselves. That's what that's you have good to news. do. <laughs> you have to prevent – Jaden Daniels leads LSU in rushing as, as the quarterback. So I think Florida needs to try to take the running away from him and force him to beat you with your arm. Um, I, I don't know that if, – if Florida can do that successfully, I don't think LSU has a way to win this mm-hmm. game. So that's got to be the thing. You have to have Brentley, uh, <laughs> Brentley. Brenton Cox um, – Princely. Princely. I think that's what I was going yeah, with. Princely, <laughs> Tyreek Sapp. You have to have these guys play sound, fundamental football. Keep, contain. I don't know that we've seen it a ton, uh, but keep, contain. Keep Jane Daniels in the pocket. Um, you've got to have Shamar James play a little bit more, Ventro Miller and Amari Bernie. They have to be keyed in on Jaden Daniels throughout the game because even if you keep contained, he can find a little wiggle room and, and run between the guard sure. and the center. And then obviously offensively, uh, it sounds like a broken record at this point, but turnovers. The Gators have not had one game this season where they've been turnover-free, and in the last five, Anthony Richardson's turned over the ball at least once in every single one of those contests. So um, that is a trend that needs to end. Uh, I mean, you know, I think in this game, maybe Florida can have another turnover and still find a way to win, but just for their own sake of going out and having a clean performance, I think that's key. Um, you know, how is Anthony going to bounce back from what seemed like a, a, a regression against uh, Missouri? And then obviously can the, the running backs in that ground game still be productive if Osiris Torrance is not able to suit up? Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what the Gators do on the offensive line if he's not in the lineup. I would imagine Richie Leonard is probably getting that call up. Mm-hmm. And um, But another guy that um, – rejoined the depth chart this week is Michael Tarquin. He's no longer um, listed in the injury report, although he is one of the oars at right tackle with Austin Barber. So I would think probably he's still going to be their guy that they go with. Um, Could you have Tarquin start and slide Barber in? Um, you, you've got some options. In Florida's offensive line, this is the best offensive line I've ever covered. My 10th season <laughs> covering Florida, and this offensive line unit has been so good, and especially – especially promising when you see, hey, you lost your right tackle mm-hmm. early on and you plug somebody in and his, there's been no drop-off. He's been playing great. Mm-hmm. Austin's done a great job. and um, But, you know, regardless of where LSU's been at this year and, and certainly the performance that they're coming off of against Tennessee, this is, this is still a team that has talent. They will have some athletes that will challenge Florida in some areas probably more than they've been challenged in any other SEC game this season. Um, and... At the end of the day, the Gators got to come and find a way to get a win in the swamp before they go into a bye week and get ready for what will be an even bigger matchup. Georgia. Oh, my gosh. Um, so we'll see how it plays out before we jump to this first break and get with Mick Hubert. We're going to give our predictions for the game now uh, just because we got uh, a lot of interviews to get through on today's show. So, Nick, without further ado, we both uh, were victorious Last week, as was Florida, picking the Gators, who you got on Saturday. I'm back to 500 on the year. Uh, good for me. <sighs> Do we go under 500 this week? I'm going to go. Um, this this series has been kind of marked by the little streaks, and Florida had won three in a row, and now LSU's won three in a row. Um, I'm going to go with Florida this year. I think this game means more to Billy Napier, to a Jacob LaFrance, to a Rob Sale, to a Jabbar Jaloup, to a Corey, Corey Raymond. Raymond. Woo! Uh, than it does to Brian Kelly. Um, I, and I think Florida, where they're at right now, is better suited to beat LSU. Mm. I think Florida will, will be able to run the ball. LSU's not bad at stopping the run, only allow 134 yards a, a, a game. That's sixth in the SEC. 
Um, but I think Ford will be able to run. I think Anthony Richardson needs to, and we probably say this every week, needs to be Anthony Richardson. Run the football mm -hmm. when you have an opportunity to. You don't need to be Peyton Manning. You don't need to be a statue back there. And Billy Napier said that uh, this week. You know, if, if we have a statue quarterback, we're probably not doing well on third down. Sure. So I think this is a week where Anthony Richardson should be able to uh, run the football, should be able to throw the football a little bit as well. Um, and I've got Florida winning in this one. And, you know, we didn't mention this because he's still not ready for game action, but um, Jack Miller has now returned from injury or been cleared to play, should we say. Um, as he continues to come along, I think that that's going to be positive for the for just the depth at that position because I think the lack of it has contributed to Anthony's lack of usage in the run yeah. game. And I think that once Miller is back available and um, Billy has two guys behind him that he can turn to, I don't think he's going to be as hesitant um, to involve Anthony Moore. So we'll we'll see how much more on Saturday. But the, the guys that I, I do want to see more involved in the run game and I think will be are Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne. I mean, through the first half of the season, the carries with them and Naquan Wright were split 46-44, or excuse me, 46-45 and 44. Completely, you know, pretty much even across the board. It doesn't need to be that the second half of the season. I, I think that that's got to change. Montrell, you know, he, he needs to have more games where he gets into the double digits and has 10-plus, 12-plus carries. I think that you want to probably have Trevor at least, you know, at 8-plus if you can. Um, and then, you know, whatever Naquan can provide, I just don't think that he's going to maybe, while still be in the rotation, maybe not be used as much. And I think, you know, as a result of that, the Gators will get even more production out of their ground game. I think they'll be able to lean on that against LSU, even if Osiris Torrance can't go. And uh, they'll play better defensively uh, and, and well enough to win. So it'll be interesting to see, though. This isn't a matchup where their secondary should be challenged too much, but that is uh, you know, the staff has made some changes at other spots, Nick, and that's that's one that's still worth monitoring moving forward. So um, we're going to jump to this first break. We'll come back. On, oh, Florida. Okay. Florida. Florida. I mean, I, I think coming into the swamp uh, night game and LSU, LSU, you know, I just don't know um, where their confidence is at, where their psyches you know, as a team just getting blown out by Tennessee like that at home. Um, so I, I like where the Gators are headed right now. Um, and I think that they're going to get the win. So we're going to jump to this first break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by the former voice of the Gators and honorary Mr. Two-Bit Saturday, Mick Hubert, live from Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. Coming game against Vandy. You don't have to call or email. Just go to Spurrier's.com, hit the reservation button, pick a date, number of guests, and a time. It's so simple, I can do it. In fact, I just did. Maybe I'll see you tonight. Welcome back into the Gators Online podcast, live from Spurs Gridiron Grill. We are now joined by our guest of the week, former voice of the Gators, and for Saturday, Mr. Two Bits, Mick Hubert. How's it going? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to get back to the swamp, at least for 24 hours or so, so that'll be interesting. And uh, I don't promise anything on Mr. <laughs> Two Bits, but I'll, I'll, I'll look at a few videos and see if I can't figure it out. 
<laughs> for sure. Well, listen, Mick, we really appreciate the time. It's great to see you. Great to hear your voice. I know I speak for a lot of Florida fans. It's been weird this season, you know, following the games and not hearing that familiar voice. So um, how has 2022 been treating you so far, and, and how's this fall been? Well, it's been really great. Um, you know, I uh, really prayed about this decision that I came to uh, uh, for about a year and uh, felt really good that uh, I was just being obedient to what my spirit was telling me to do. So uh, I'm a great piece about doing this. And uh, like, like I've told a lot of people, in all humility, uh, I, I felt I could do it probably another 10 years or so. In fact, five years ago, I thought I'd be doing it until I was 80 years old or something, doing a Larry Munson or a Jack Crystal yeah. or, or a Vin Scully, any of those guys. I figured as long as I had my vision and my voice, what's but better to get, uh, get paid calling a game. But, you know, priorities change a little bit as you grow older. And, uh, you know, it's, it was important to do what I did for the Gators for 33 years, and I loved every moment of it. Uh, but, you know, over the last year, year and a half, it became less important. Uh, it was still important, but uh, other things in my life took more, more importance. And I thought, you know what, we're still young enough to enjoy this. We're healthy enough to do it. My wife had retired a year earlier from being a kindergarten teacher for her whole career, 40 years. So, uh, wow. but, you know, let, let's, let's make this move. We had this house here in Sarasota, so let's go down there and enjoy it. And, and uh, I'm a great piece about that decision. Was there any thought in your mind to have a, a victory tour? Uh, you know, the retirement lap, you know, you see the baseball players do it um, and they, they announce, hey, next year will be my last year. Uh, was there any thought in your mind that, hey, I'll announce one more year and then you go to LSU and you, you get a gift and, and everyone kind of gives you flowers every week? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, you know, they had asked me uh, to come back earlier. Uh, when I went in and told Scott Strickland in May that I'd reached this decision, and he said, you know, he was he was shocked, and floored by it. He said, well, the least we can do is bring you back for a game. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll, I'll think about that. And you know, I talked to my wife about it. She said, Mick, you got to do it. I mean, you got to go back. I mean, come on, that's 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 you know, it's not about you at that point. You really need to go back. And so uh, they asked me to come back for the first game, and I said, no, I I can't go back the first game. I, I you know. I, I didn't want to get in anybody's way, and I didn't, you know, I just needed to be out of the picture and out of the yeah. scene, and, sure. uh, and and let uh, Sean Kelly have his day in the swamp. I didn't want to be a part, look like I was looking over his shoulder, and he was just <laughs> hanging on. You know, the guy retired, but you can't get rid of him, you know. And uh, uh, because really, what, what what I got to in this is I, I loved being the voice of the Gators, and uh, I loved all the sports, football, basketball, and baseball, and you know, the, the running gag was. Uh, What's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite uh, sport? And I'd say, you know, you can't ask me that, uh, but you can ask me what my favorite season is, and I'll be able to tell you that my favorite season is the off season. <laughs> because, you know, June and July, I don't do much, but when you're doing eighty to hundred games, you know, and in, in, uh, you know September, I love doing football, but you know, in February, March, I love doing basketball, and obviously April and May was baseball season, so I, I yeah. enjoyed all of that. And, uh, I, but I just thought, uh, you know, now, now was the time to do to, to step away. And, and then I, I thought, you know, let the season get on with itself. And I thought, you know, LSU is kind of the midway point of the season. And, uh, you know, you know, they'd been home for a little while and, uh, <laughs> crazy schedule. I, I knew that going in that six of the first seven games were at home. I thought, wow, better make some hay while you're home because the second half of the schedule doesn't treat you so well. You're on the road a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was another thing. I, I don't miss being on the road. That was the thing I 
didn't really enjoy as I, I did earlier in my career when you're younger and my thing. But, you know, when you when you uh, when uh, you get back at one thirty in the morning or two thirty in the morning, it was harder to bounce back. Uh, you know, I did that 20 years ago. I, I, 20 years ago, I was doing the uh, the TV show on Sunday morning with Coach, whether it was yep. uh, Coach Spurrier, or Coach Zook, Coach Meyer, whatever it was. And, you know, I'd be in the studio, TV studio uh, at 7 o'clock, and we'd, we'd tape the show. It air at 12 noon. I only, some nights, I only had maybe three hours of sleep. Hmm. You know, I was okay. You know, you, you were young enough. You could do it. Might catch a nap, falling asleep in the afternoon on a Sunday watching an NFL game. You didn't really want to, but you, you dozed off for 45 minutes or whatever. <laughs> we all do that. But in the latter years, like, wow, it's tougher and tougher to, to get up and do that. And so it took you took me longer to bounce back. So I didn't miss miss those those, those road games and the travel. And uh, in fact, in the first game of the year, uh, a friend of mine who went to our, our church, Impact Family Church up in High Springs, she was texting me during the Utah game. And says, at the end, she said, what, what a great win for the Gators, huh? I said, yeah. It, they, didn't play, they didn't play great, but they played well, played well, well enough to win. It's a big win for them. I said, but you know what? It's 1045. I was texting her. As I said, right now, there are 90,000 people stuck in their cars in traffic. <laughs> and in 15 minutes, I'm going to be in bed asleep. So, <laughs> I, I, I hated nothing. I hated worse than going home seven miles and taking me an hour to get home after the game because people yeah. Yeah. Utah game was a perfect example because everybody had to stay till the very last play almost for that yeah. interception. So I thought, man, uh, that would be a late night game. And it's a home game. It'd still be late night. So, uh, you know, I, and I knew the LSU game was not likely to be a 3.30 game. Uh, <laughs> probably the teams weren't going to be good enough to be on CBS. So uh, it, it is where it is. I figured it would be a 7 o'clock game on ESPN. So we're excited to get up there. And, and hey, I'll be on the field moments before kickoff. And I've never been on the field moments before kickoff. Right. Before. Wow. You know, it's, it's one thing to sit courtside for the opening tip in a basketball game. That can be very electric. But to be on the field in the swamp before a football game and, you know, Steve McLean said, Mick, you can you can run out of the tunnel with him. I go, oh, yeah, I'd take a stumble and get run over by 75 guys. I don't think so. You know, but we'll be down there and that'll be kind of fun. Now, Did you find yourself calling the game at all on the couch? <laughs> Did you find yourself calling the game at all from the couch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe just a little bit, but not too much. Uh, one of the guys that uh, that I'm friends with, you know, uh, and he, he didn't know who, who, I, who I was. And uh, he uh, found out what I did. And one day I talked to him and because uh, I've only met him about uh, maybe two months ago. And he, he, he said to me, he said, you're in the Hall of Fame. I'm going, well, there's more than one. There's not just a universal right. Hall yeah, of yeah. Fame where everybody goes. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm say the Florida Hall of Fame. He goes, I never met anybody in a Hall of Fame before. And so he said, you still, you, you still call the games? I go, yeah, every once in a while. So then I'll be talking to him, and he go, I heard it. I said, what'd you hear? He goes, I heard it. I heard it in your voice. I heard your voice. I said, well, I don't talk like I'm on the air 24-7. In fact, I'm not even on the air much anymore. I'm doing TV commercials and those kinds of things. But he goes, I just heard it. I heard your voice. I said, I've been talking to you for a long time, many days. Never heard your voice. But I just heard it right there. So I, I don't know what he heard. But I said, well, it's the only voice I have. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I watch the game, but I, I, I watch it differently, yeah. you know, and uh, watch it as a fan. And there are some games I'm going, my goodness, we can't tackle anybody. <laughs> How many tackles you, is he going to miss tonight? He missed you sound like the fans. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and You know, I saw those missed tackles. I saw all that stuff when I was broadcasting the game. 
Yeah. But you can't worry about it. You can't dwell on it. You got to go on to the next place. Sure. So you just keep going. And then sometimes it'd be the next day or two. Someone says, so-and-so missed a lot of tackle. I go, you know what? He did. Now I think about it, he did. Even <laughs> though I probably called all those missed tackles. I, mm-hmm. See, I never wanted to throw guys under the bus. But also right. you can't lie. When, you know, people are watching and they're listening. And, sure. you know, so-and-so misses the tackle. You say, hey, missed tackle, missed tackle, missed tackle. Uh, in fact, that was one of the, as I digress here for a moment, that was one of the things that Jim McElwain and I got into about this. Uh, he was the only guy I really went no, I went nose to nose with him. I'm not proud of it either. I, I probably sure. shouldn't even be telling the story, but we had just beaten in the 2015 season. Ten, Ole Miss came into the swamp. They were ranked third in the nation oh, yeah. on a Saturday yep. night game. I think we beat them 38 to three or 38 to 10, something like that. Played great. Uh, and so uh, Actually, we, we had played, I think, Tennessee before that and missed a bunch of tackles. And McElwain commented about missing a bunch of tackles. Sure. And so, uh, and on Monday's news conference, same thing. Well, I get to him on Thursday. And this is before the old Miss game. This is Thursday, and I'm doing the talk show with him. And uh, and then after that, we would take the radio pregame show right after that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, so we're doing it over one of the establishments, you know. And I think one lady had too much to drink. <laughs> probably about 6-12, 6-14, pretty early in the show. She makes a comment, and he, and he gets mad about it. He gets he gets upset. Now, I got to deal with him. He's upset for the next 45 minutes. See? <laughs> and then I got to go do a radio interview. So we get to – now I'm getting ready to do the pregame interview for the old Miss game. And so, uh, you know, I said to him, I said, hey, Coach, I said – and we, our relationship was was okay. It, it, was, it was okay. And I said to him, Sister – I'm throwing softball questions. It's sure, a pregame. Sure. So no, I'm not yeah. blown in there like Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes. But I said, <laughs> hey, I said, there's a great matchup on the outside tonight. And so you got Laquan Treadwell against Vernon Hargraves. That should be a good matchup. He looked at me and he goes, we don't care anything about that. We don't care about that. Who's over on that side will we'll guard him and whatnot. So I'm thinking, you know, you could have given me a little better answer than that. These are two guys that are probably going to play in the NFL. Sure. When they're going one-on-one. They so, did play. Okay, <laughs> I, I blow that away. I, I go, I ask couple more questions then i get to another question i said hey i said coach you mentioned last week we had a number of missed tackles i'm sure you're working diligently this week in practice about shoring up the tackling and he looked at me and he gives me one of these he goes huh. yeah he said you're just like the rest of them mm. now that set me off and and so you know i finished the interview i'm like steam was coming out of my ears just like you're just like the rest of them meaning all the media you're just like sure sure and so we got done. I hit the stop button on the recorder. And I stood up and he stood up. It was like Earl Weaver with an umpire. We were this close. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, all, all my job is to make you look good. That's all I've ever done. That's all I've ever done for 25 plus years here as the voice of the Gators. I said, you treat me like I'm a 19-year-old intern. Huh. And, and then we got into it. And, and one of his, his girl's assistant, I saw the door open. The door open and she snuck out. She got out of there. And so me and him were, <laughs> were going at it. And I'm, I'm thinking, Mick, you're getting in an argument with the football coach who's making $4 million a year. Yeah. <laughs> but that led to me not no, no longer doing that show. You know, I, I went to the, Mike Hill, who was associate AD at that time. Yeah. I said, Mike, I said, he, he did this to me in April before the spring game. And now he's done it to me again, twice. I said, that's it. I said, I, that's it. You get somebody else to do that show. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to let that affect my career. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, a six-minute pregame show versus a six-hour radio broadcast from the play-by-play announcer. So they, they got Jeff Cardoso to do it. And then yeah. Jeff took over. His, then when Mullen came in, they said, Nick, 
you, you like Dan? I said, oh, yeah, Dan, I like it along great. We, I, I liked him 15 years ago, whatever it was. You want to do the show again? I said, nope. That <laughs> ship is sailed. That ship is sailed. Jeff can do it. He can make a few extra dollars and he can do it. And that's kind of what happened. Uh, but that's the only time that I ever got into it with, with any of the coaches. But there was a couple of times uh, when Urban was there. And Urban and I had an up-and-down relationship, kind of like everybody. But <laughs> I knew Urban Meyer had, great, had respect for him. I respected him. He respected me, and so we were very professional about it. But Urban was just being Urban, and a couple more than a couple more than a couple times, I'd go to Mike Hill. I'd say, Mike, I said, I don't know what I did, but that guy hates me. Nick, Nick, he doesn't hate you. As a matter of fact, I know he really likes you. I go, Wow, I hate to be his enemy if he really likes me. But, <laughs> but we got along great. In fact, Urban lives in Sarasota now, and so we've been friends and get along. You know, Urban was still under a lot of pressure. I mean, football sure. coaches are under a lot of pressure. I get that. So I have a great, I had a great relationship with all of them, including uh, the basketball coaches, the baseball coaches. That that was what, that's the thing. If you ask me what I would miss the most is just being around those right. kinds of people. I mean, yeah. I, I've worked with obviously Heisman Trophy winners. Yeah. But I've worked with Hall of Fame coaches who mm. put their arm around me and treated me like I was just one of the gang. And mm-hmm. Billy Donovan was the best at that. Billy would bring me into the coaches' meetings and ask me questions about, should we press this team? Should we do this? I'm going, you asking he, me? <laughs> valued my opinion, and so wow. I got treated well by all those people, and uh, that, that's probably what I miss the most uh, about everything. I, I did enjoy the grunt work, what I call the stats, the X's, and all you know, all that, yeah. all that stuff on my depth chart and all that. So I love putting, I love the preparation Monday mm-hmm. through Friday during the football season, so that on Saturday I could just show up and just be a fan. People say, Mick, how do you know all that stuff? I say, and you know what? I, I'm with it all every day, five days a week. If I don't have it memorized, I know exactly where I put it on the chart. You know, it's up here, it's over there. Yeah. I know exactly where to find it. I can get it like that. Because I said, there's no do-overs. There's no backspace. You know, I don't like a second <laughs> chance. You got to call the play right the first time, and you better hope you get it. That's kind of why you broadcast on the edge of your seat, because, you know, you figure this could be the play, and you don't want to screw up the play. So, yeah, just like uh, when uh, Jaden yeah. Hill got the pick six uh, in the last game against Missouri, and the, the announcer on ESPN or you – Said Desmond Watson with the pick six. <laughs> Go. Never uh, seen a guy time. weigh 400 pounds run like that. <laughs> yeah. And that's another thing. I, I hate the double numbers. Anybody's got to do, you know, you know, when you're, when you're in the, when you're writing or when you're typing, you don't like the double numbers, but you get a sure. chance to correct it unless you're tweeting and, and you send it out. You can't get it back. But when you're broadcasting, Oh, I, I had one, I think only one time I remember. And there probably were more. I just, you know, the brain has a way of shutting down with you, the negative. But I remember one time, I think it was 2005 or six, uh, that I called somebody. We had two number eights. One, and I don't remember who the other eight was, but he was like mm-hmm. about 5'10". And the other number eight was Carlos Dunlap. Now, how, do you, how do you, you know, how do you mistake a 5'8 or 5'9 guy with Carlos Dunlap? Sure. I mean, quite a bit different. So, but we were in the press box way up there. You know, you don't, you're not standing on the field. And so I think I had a, because it was a special team. It wasn't a block punt like the Carolina game. But one time I called the wrong number eight. I'm going, oh, man, I hate that. I hate that. I said, <laughs> you got 99 numbers. Why can't everybody have one number? And, but, you know, that, that's the way that started. So, uh, but I, I didn't, I didn't remember, I don't remember him say, hearing that. I, I think, in, I think in my mind, that particular pick six, I think I was probably calling it in my mind, not verbally. <laughs> yeah. you know, I think just me and my wife were watching the game. But I think in my mind, I was probably calling it, thinking how I would have described it, you know, and because uh, sure. you could see it coming. 
you know, yeah. some interceptions, you know, I would, you, the trick is when you're announcing an interception is you hope you see it and see it clearly. But if you only see part of it, what, what I always said was it is picked off. Mm-hmm. It is intercepted. What am I doing? I'm wait. I'm waiting for the guy to turn so I get a better look at his number because yep. if he, he might be contorted such that, so I said, it's picked off. It's intercepted Jaden Hill. But if I see it right away, then none of that setup stuff. It's like, there's the pe- drops back to throw. There's the pass and it's intercepted by Jaden Hill. And, and it's going to be a pick six, you know, and yeah. you just make the call. So if you go back and ever listen to any, you, you can kind of tell when Mick is kind of vamping a little bit. <laughs> it's not 10 seconds. It might be one and a half seconds, but it's a different way to call it as opposed to some guys would get the wrong guy, like, you know, wrong 21 or whatever. Well, in that case, I think Jaden Hill was his 23. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. He, he didn't even mix so up the numbers. Yeah. He yeah. He have, just, he, he, he just totally was off. A double number. Yeah. He just, man. he just blew it. But you know, that's a call you wouldn't want to blow. I mean, that was a big call in the game, but Hey, there's a lot of guys calling games that shouldn't be calling games. I mean, I, that's, <laughs> I feel that today. I felt that way 20 years ago. I mean, you know, some guys have a knack for it and some guys don't. And sure. it's just the way it is. And some guys and, have never done it before and say, hey, how would you like to call a game? Well, that looks like, that sounds like fun. It's like, you know, it's like if you're, uh, you know, been in, in real estate for 30 years and now you become a sports writer. Well, you're probably not going to be very good because you don't have any training, any background. Sure, sure. It. So uh, that's. That's that's my take on sports casting. <laughs> now, Mick, obviously, Florida fans not being able to hear you this season, they're dying to kind of get just your take on this team through the first half of the year. Um, you know, from obviously your perspective has changed from how you watch the game, and uh, your access to the team is obviously much different. But just what have been your general thoughts on what you've seen from the Gators so far this year, and obviously with the new coaching staff? You know, I. I don't think it's any great revelation of, of the inconsistency. They've shown flashes of brilliance, and that's what, and that's the tough thing because people see what they're capable of if everything yeah. goes right, but the margin for error is small, and it's kind of been that way for a while. So, yes, they're capable of beating teams, capable of winning in Knoxville. I mean, they were way down. Looked yeah. like they had no chance, and here they come storming back. So they're capable of winning a game like that. I think they're capable – of going to AM and beating beating the Aggies, not likely. Beating Utah was an upset. It wasn't a great upset because I think Florida was favored in the swamp. So it was an upset. You call it that. But going to College Station being Texas AM to me would be a bigger, a much not because it's an SEC game. That's just go out there and win a road game as opposed to winning a game in the swamp where you're kind of supposed to do it. So they're they're four and two and that, and that's not where we want to be, but that's it's okay because that's kind of you know, we haven't looked great in any, any one game, but we've managed to win. There's something to be said about that. Managing yeah. to win, knowing how to win and cutting back on the penalties has been a positive. Uh, and they're, they're, they're getting better, I think, game by game. But, I mean, they're not likely to beat Georgia. They're not likely to beat A&M. Uh, I, they're probably a 7-4 team going into Tallahassee with right now that game probably being a toss-up. Uh, yeah. So they lose it. They're 7-5. and five And. Depends on the bet. The motivation, as you know, the motivation, <laughs> the matchup in the bowl game, they could easily lose that and they'd be seven and six. But that would still be better than last year. And I talked to Lee McGriff a few weeks ago. I said, Lee, it's easy to it's easy to forget this, but we were six and seven last year. We were very good last year, six and seven. So we don't have, in my opinion, the talent to go toe to toe in the SEC every single week, week in, week out. We're just not that talented. Uh, so, you know, we're. And I think it was Jaden Hill that made the comment after the Missouri game. He said, you know, 
we're the Gators. We're supposed to beat Missouri. Mm. And I thought, good for him, because he probably remembers the Gators when they were the Gators. Because <laughs> the truth of the matter is, going into the Missouri game, we're 5-5 five and five in the 10 games with Mizzou. So we are who we are. We're not who we used to be. But in the yep. mindset of fans and some great, even the players, sometimes I think we're, we're better than we are. Truth of the matter, I look at it as an outsider, and I'm going, we're just a run-of-the-mill football team. We're not horrible. But we're not mm-hmm. we're not one of the elites. We're somewhere in the middle of the pack. What's the middle of the pack in the SEC? Somewhere between five and nine. Well, that's probably where the Gators are. On a good day, they might be five, and and they could slip to a nine. So I mean, you know, we'll we'll, we'll wait and see. But I've enjoyed watching it. I've enjoyed watching the season. I think uh, we played six games, twenty four quarters. I've watched about twenty three of the twenty four quarters. And the one quarter that I didn't watch was the time that us and another couple went out and watched went to dinner on a Saturday night. During the fourth quarter of the Tennessee game. Whoa. Yeah. 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 Haven't been able to we do that in a while. And, and they were big Gator fans, too, season ticket holders. And I noticed my wife's friend, she's looking up there. I said, Trace, what are you looking at? She goes, the Gators are about to win the game. I said, what? <laughs> and we left, they were down a couple of touchdowns. They, yeah. I don't know what the score was. We were down pretty good. And I said, yeah. She said, you probably don't want to watch this because we're going to win the game. And then we threw, then we didn't do it. But I said, okay. So I missed probably one of the most exciting quarters of the season. Yeah, Mick, this um, this LSU series now with the expansion coming, um, I don't know if we'll get this on a yearly basis, but uh, it's been one of my favorite series. It's always a close game. Florida and LSU are normally ranked, uh, but it's also weird. Uh, Les Miles calling, uh, going forward on fourth, calling fake punts, fake kicks. One of the weirdest things, the last time LSU was in the swamp, Florida scores, fireworks go off, and then, uh, like like a novel, the fog rolls in. What was your view? How do you do your job when you can't see the field? And the shoe toss, Because we couldn't see the field from the press box. Yeah, and I only had one other game like that, and that was the, the, the Gator Bowl game over in Jacksonville. I think it was like 92 when the fog rolled in off the St. John's River, and I think we were playing NC State in that game. And that was really – that was probably worse. The fog was probably lower mm-hmm. to the field. It's, it's difficult. Uh, when you're sitting that high up, you, you basically have to go off the television cameras and hope that they're using field level cameras because even their higher up cameras, right. same level I am, so the same level you are, so you can't really see. So they got to call a game on the ground. That's an example of why, as a as a football broadcaster, you don't want to be sitting on a table on the field. You have no depth perception. Whereas mm-hmm. in basketball, I always wanted to be on the floor. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to be high up on basketball. I wanted to be right on the floor so I could feel feel the game, hear the game, hear the whistles, the ball bouncing, the body slams and all that stuff. But in football, you got to be high and far back. When you get a fog game like that, you got to go down and use those field cameras. It was an eerie game. You, you know, I, you could see it coming in the beginning of the fourth quarter. I thought, well, it's kind of cool. And then, it, you know, every three or four minutes, you know, by 11-minute mark, it's heavier. By the eight-minute mark, you really have By the five-minute mark, it's like, oh, my God. It's the last 30 minutes, the fog just kept coming in and coming in. And, you know, it's a game, another one of those games the Gators never should have lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, LSU wasn't very good. Uh, but, you know, we, we weren't good enough to beat them. But, but I think LSU's won three, three in a row. And uh, yep. there have been a bunch of those games in there where we should have won. I think it was 2017. I think it was McElwain's last year. Remember we hit LSU and Texas A&M back-to-back and lost both by a total of three points. A one-point loss or a two-point loss, we should have won both those games. But mm-hmm. you know, the shoe toss was just like, oh, that was just uh, that was. I don't, know if, I don't know if you call it the icing on the cake because it probably was the 
the bottom of the barrel, really, in that <laughs> situation. But we've had some great ones with LSU over the years. That's been one of my favorite series. And I know it's probably going to come to not an end, but it's going to have a different twist here with the addition of these two new teams coming into the SEC. But m- my first year in 1989, I'm Galen Hall's coaching. We're playing in Baton Rouge. And, and when I was in college, I was calling radio baseball for, the, for Illinois State where I went to school. And on a spring trip, I was doing an Illinois State-LSU game. Well, I jumped over across the street during uh, before the game went over into Tiger Stadium. It was wide, wide open. It was during spring practice, like 1974. <laughs> I'm going in there, and I just remember going in there looking around. Oh, man. They only had 70,000 seats in Tiger Stadium then. But even then, I'm going, wow, someday I got to be broadcasting in a place like this. Not LSU, per se, just in a place like this. And then when I got that SEC job, or the Gators job in 89, I'm going, this is it. This is it. So I'm going to Baton Rouge. I'm, I hadn't been there in you know 15 years. So I go in there and I'm sitting on the plane. I'm sitting in the middle seat on the plane. I don't know who was on the up one side of me, one player, but on the other side was another guy, a little bit bigger than me, but not whole, not real big. And I started talking to him, nice guy. I started talking to him. And I, I said, what, what, "What's your name?" And he told me his name. He said, "His name he says my name's Arden Shashevsky." I said, "Oh, you mean like the basketball coach?" Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, he wasn't our regular kicker, the late John David Francis was our regular kicker uh-huh. and in that particular game it's all Emmett Smith and it's a it's a defensive battle and it comes down to the very end and Galen Hall sends in Arden Krzyzewski now if I'm not sitting next to him I don't have a clue how to pronounce his name and it's like <laughs> this long and I'll be darned he goes in there and kicks a game-winning field goal and we win the game and I'm telling you even now talking about it, hair stand up my arm on my neck I'm going I'm in there in my first trip calling a game and and that was the start, really, of, of the Florida LSU for me. Because you remember back in the day, visiting teams always won. We'd go to Baton Rouge, win. Somehow they'd come here and they'd win. It was, it was a crazy thing. I remember the 93 game we went back. We beat Curly Hallman uh, in the LSU. Beat them like 56-3. to And they were, we listened to the postgame show going to the airport after the game. Oh, my. The fans wanted to take Curly Hallman out and tar and feather him. You know, they were going to get rid of him. They basically <laughs> got rid of him. But, uh, you know, Spurrier loved beating LSU. <laughs> because they didn't hire him as a head coach back in the day. and uh, But, you know, I remember 97 also when, when uh, we go in there number one after winning the national championship. Yep. And uh, Doug Johnson throws three picks in the game. And we get beat 28 to 21, I guess. But well, I great memories of Florida and LSU. And as a game, Nick, as you mentioned, Les Miles, I mean, what was he, five for five on fourth down that year? I'm zumbled. And, and, and they, they fake it and the holder throws the ball over his back. I know. Pass. I'm going, oh, my gosh, the things I've seen. and. You know, I won't forget a lot of that stuff. Well, uh, we won't forget this, Mick, because I was tasked with uh, the difficult assignment after you announced your retirement of putting together the top 10 calls of Mick Hubert's career behind the mic. Now, that. Had trouble finding only uh, 10. How do you limit that to yeah. 10? I'm going to run through these real quick. I'm just going okay. to. I'm just going to say the quote that you said on the call. Now, some of these will be obvious. Uh, other ones, uh, maybe they'll jog your memory a little bit. Number one, Doring's got a touchdown. Number two, greatest moment in Gator football history. Everyone knows what that is. Number three, horn sound, ball game is all over. Oh, my. Number four, I love this one. It's been blocked. Oh, my. It's been blocked again. He's going to score. He's going to score. He's going to score. Obviously, everyone knows that Callaway play. This one, I don't know if you'll, you'll catch this right away, Mick. Oh, 
my! I can't believe what I just saw. Does he know that game? That is the Hail Mary against Tennessee in 2017. And then the last few. This was a great one. Speaking of Florida LSU. He didn't get there. He did not get there. 2016. Darius Geis. Yep. That's right. Um, it's good. It's a three. And the Gators have won the game. From Madison Square Garden. Oh, jeez. Oh. Now, this one, this one speaks for itself. But, you know, I can't. The, the, you know, in your voice, you could tell what this meant for the program. Mm. Florida has won the national championship in baseball. And then the last wow. one, and then the last one on my list, another, uh, another uh, LSU game. Oh my, this place. Yes, indeed. It is an insane asylum. And that was a uh, credit to your call from 1997 against Florida, uh, uh, for, against Florida State, excuse me. That was my best yeah. McHubert impersonation. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was pretty that, good on a voice crack because, uh, <laughs> you know, working those games in 2017 in Omaha with Jeff Cardozo was was extra special. Uh, you know, I remember when Jeff came in as an 18-year-old pitcher, and so and then I got to know him as a player and then his desire to want to be a broadcaster. So that made, made it even closer, to, and then he started, and, and Jeff was a great uh, student. I, you know, I, I wanted to teach Jeff what I knew. I mean, Jeff could teach me about the game of baseball, but I could teach him about broadcasting the yeah. game of baseball. And so we had a great relationship broadcasting together for all those number of years. So fast forward, we're playing for the national championship against no less LSU. And that's <laughs> the thing as I divert just briefly. When the Gators win national championships, they don't beat William and Mary. You know, they don't beat Towson State. You know, they don't beat schools like that. You know, they beat Ohio State in football. You know, they beat UCLA Florida State. They beat Florida State in football. They beat the big team. Oklahoma. They beat LSU in baseball. Yeah. And so here we are. And Jeff goes down after the game to get the post-game interview live on the field. But before he left, we had a sense. I think we were up we were up in that game where we were going to win it. And neither one of us could hardly talk. I mean, both of us, we couldn't <laughs> even look at one another. Because we were about ready to, we would cry if we looked at one another. So we just had to look straight ahead. <laughs> and uh, now, and when that happens, Jeff's already down on the field. So I'm up there by myself. And uh, I, I just didn't have any more words. I mean, I was choking back to think that, you know, you've seen it. You've seen it. You've seen the first baseball. Yep. You know, people will afford ever win in baseball. I mean, you know, I've got a couple, three in football, a couple in basketball. But is baseball, everybody going to get it? We've had probably, you know, we've had better teams. That, mm -hmm. that that 17 team was good enough to win the College World Series, but wasn't probably the best collection of Gator baseball players we put together. Probably 2012 was probably a little bit better. So, you know, but that team in 17, I think they won 19 one-run games. So they knew how to win close games. They had a bullpen that could shut it down. They played defense. They had clutch hits. It was just a great team effort. Uh, and so that was it was it was great. Uh, you know. Uh, now, do you have a call you know, that I just that I all those calls I just ran through? Is there one that's your favorite, or is there one that's your favorite that I didn't include on that list? Well, no. I mean, I, I remember in 97 when we beat Florida State, I think that's the first time that I uttered the words, this place that is insane asylum in the swamp. Yep. And I think, not that I retired it, but I think it went years and years and years until I used it. I think I might have used it twice in my career, and that the second time is the one you referenced. And so that was kind of a homage to the 97 call. Yep. I mean, there was probably a generation of people that said, Never heard the first one. What was he talking about? You know, because <laughs> one thing I had fun with, I had fun with, you know, saying that places, they didn't say in asylum again. I had fun doing that when we beat Georgia. 
because we were beating Georgia, whether it be football, basketball, whatever, we were beating them. And, you know, I, I don't know how many games that I finished up by saying Florida beats Georgia again. You yeah. know, so, you know, it was again. And, uh, you know, I think the one there was one SEC championship in the Georgia Dome that uh, that Quezzy Green caught a touchdown pass. I think it was. I think it was Quezzy. Maybe may may have been uh, may have been uh, Redell. Redell Anthony, but mm-hmm. I said they're blowing the roof off this place, you know, because I think we scored forty five points, and uh, so that that was another good one, but uh, that I remember. But uh, you know, I mean, people ask me, do you, you have these things written down? I go, I appreciate the question, but no, you don't write them down. You just you just it just comes to you. And, and you know, I was criticized over the years by using oh my too much. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but I also had people say to me, Mick, on such and such a play, you didn't say, oh, my. I said, you know what? It didn't strike me as an oh, my play. But if you're yeah. sitting up there in row 47 and you think it's an oh, my play, then you go get it. Go yeah. go for it. I don't own the copyright to it. So go out and use it. And so I, I didn't count I love, the number of times that I used it. I love the way that you would represent how the fans were probably screaming in that moment and saying those exact things. It's been blocked again. Yeah, he he well, did not he did not get there. The game. Yeah, yeah. Our, our third block, so it seemed to probably he's been blocked again. I mean, oh my goodness, and you know because he had the leg, he had the leg to kick it. We knew he could hit the distance. I think it was fifty plus yards, and uh, just a matter of is he going to leave it out there? And he did, and he just missed it just a little bit wide right, and it probably was a sixty-five yard kick, but yeah. it just was just to the right of the pole. And uh, we, we managed to win that game. So it, it was just those moments, you know, you can't replace those moments. You know, there was that LSU game when we stopped Darius Geis. That's what everybody remembers. But my favorite play in that game was one earlier because six days earlier I was in church. And after church, somebody was talking to me about broadcasting. And I was saying about, you know, the urgency and being on the edge of your seat and want to capture the enthusiasm and the emotion and you don't have a backspace on the tongue and you get one chance. So I said, that's why I'm on the edge of my seat. I said, imagine this, we're on the two yard line going the other way mm-hmm. and we get a 98 yard touchdown play. I said, no matter who the game, no matter who the score, that's going to be a big play. And I don't want to mess that up. Well, it was the following Saturday, that game that got rescheduled because of the hurricane. We're over there playing, and we're over there, and we're on the two-yard line, and we throw a pass out to the 50. Guy makes the catch, makes a man miss, and runs down the near sideline and goes 98 yards for a touchdown. <laughs> and when that happened, I just went, thank you. Because, because it was like, like he was telling me, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because you you're going to have a 98 yard touchdown on, in the next broadcast, and we did, and, and that that was the play of the game until yep. it wasn't until right. yeah. we stopped various guys on fourth down and, and won the game. And I remember saying the Gators are going to fly home as Eastern Division champions. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, you know, McElwain for all his his quirks, and uh, you know, he won two division titles. I know the the division wasn't very strong back then, but he won a couple of division titles. And uh, hats off to those guys for for winning that and. Then we had to play Alabama, of course, in Atlanta, and that didn't work out so well. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to another Florida-LSU game this Saturday, and I know the Gator Nation is looking forward to seeing you again, Mick. Um, good luck on your preparations for your two-bits cheer. I know you've that seen you've, seen, you've seen Yeah, a few you've seen them. a few. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've probably seen about 200 of them. If you do about <laughs> six a year in the swamp or 33 years or whatever, it's about 200, and yet I don't know if I have a clue as to how to do it. I think I got the words okay, but the, but the, the – all the rest of the stuff, the theatrics, they're going to take a little bit of a little bit of boning up on that. 
Well, if anybody knows how to prepare for it, it's you. Um, Mick, we really had fun going down memory lane with you. We appreciate the time, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on Saturday, bud. I appreciate it. I think I'm going to either jump in the pool or go throw a line out in the water and catch some fish. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, you do that and keep enjoying, uh, enjoying retirement, my friend. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, Mick. All right, we're going to jump to this final break. We'll come back on the other side and wrap up the Gators Online podcast. Football is back. There isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite team than by playing daily fantasy sports with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports and pits you against the numbers. Whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual fan looking to add some excitement to the games, Prize Picks is the perfect game for you. It's the best way to have action on the game in states like Alabama, Florida, Texas, Georgia, Kentucky, and over 70% of the United States. Prize Picks is currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. You simply select two to five players and predict if they will go more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. Download the Prize Picks app or visit prizepicks.com and sign in using the code GATERS to get an instant 100% bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. So if you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100 back. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks will give you 50. That's free money. Don't forget that Prize Picks app or prizepicks.com and the code GATERS to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your team to the next level this season. Welcome back into the Gators Online Podcast, and now it is time to preview the Florida LSU game Saturday from the Swamp with Billy Embody from Bengal Tigers of the On3 Network and a Tampa native. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Uh, definitely looking forward to learning some more about these Tigers. Um, a first-year coach there as well as the Gators have. Um, what's it been like, man, just kind of getting off with this new regime and so far through the first half of the season? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. They've been good to everybody. I mean, it, it's one of those things like, you know, Brian Kelly head south. People always, you know, talked about the fit, like from a national perspective. But he's been really good, uh, really embraced being down in Louisiana. Um, look, I mean, he's won a ton of football games wherever he's been. Obviously, he's been for the most part in the Midwest, Northeast, kind of however you want to put it. Um, but you know, the thing people respect about him is is really how he handles everything. You know, it hasn't been perfect. You know, he hasn't gotten every hire he wanted. You know, Mike Denbrock was his second choice. He wanted to, you know, bring other guys down uh, to LSU from Notre Dame. Um, you know, obviously he had like the viral video, but like all that <laughs> stuff, like he's he's trying to do, you know, what LSU fans want. And that's, that's run a very like clean, organized program in the sense of, you know at the top that you have this guy that's done it for so long and wanted a really high level. We'll find out long term if it works out, but everything he does is going to have a reason behind it that is at least, you know, well thought out, well presented. And I think that's what has really stood out. And even as LSU fans kind of waited for the recruiting to take off, it did this summer and they went through their approach in and had their way of doing it that, um, you know, they felt worked best and it's just really kind of worked. I, I think so far it's worked out, even though they've taken their lumps at times this season. Now, well, before he we, a, uh, he's eating a couple of poor boy sandwiches and <laughs> there were, there were, there were some stumbles, but I, I think you'd look at Brian Kelly and, and if I'm an LSU fan, I'm thinking, 
he came here to win a national championship because yeah. that's what's missing on his resume and the resources that LSU puts into their football program with Brian Kelly's history of being a successful coach. I mean, Billy Napier even mentioned it this week um, that he's someone that I've always looked at yep. um, as a coach. So I think that's probably, uh, despite the family, the TikTok, <laughs> and, and you know some of those things is, okay, listen, we're hiring someone because he thinks we, in our culture and in our state and our university, is a fit to get him something he's been chasing for 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think Scott Woodward has always been somebody that has gone out and gotten big name coaches. And I think that was key for this hire. You know, I, I think you look back and at coaching hires for the most part nationally and every single time was always an opposite of what the last one was. So hmm. last time, obviously they promoted Ed Ogeron He's been a head coach before, but he never called a play. He's a rah-rah defensive line guy, recruiter. This time they needed that CEO, that that really well-organized. I, I mean, they could not have found, in my opinion, a complete opposite more than Brian Kelly. I don't think anybody, especially <laughs> with the way just he carries himself, dresses. I mean, drives a Tesla, has the Peloton in the office. You know, O was, you know, Louisiana, Hummer back in the day. Uh, benching in the weight room, you know, get, running. Get those crawfish, off. get those crawfish ordered. Yeah, like it was just a complete opposite, um, you know, higher. And I, I think you've got to applaud the way Scott Woodward went about it. He knew he wanted a big name. He knew LSU needed a big name to kind of revitalize that, that, that confidence from the fan base, I think. And, you know, now everything hasn't been perfect, but at least for the most part, LSU fans recognize this is maybe, especially now after, you know, being blown out by Tennessee and, you know, the way special teams have been or, or the offense, you know, passing for 85 yards against Auburn. It's just going to be a process that takes a little bit of time, maybe sure. more so than we even thought going in after they added, you know, 15, 16 transfers. Now, b before we get into this matchup and, and talk more about LSU's team, um, I do want to kind of get into one of the storylines this week, which is um, something that I think is going to get revisited every year as long as Billy and Brian are still coaching at these two schools is basically Billy getting out of Louisiana and LSU really not making a run at him. Um, what was your perception of his candidacy there and what type of sense did you get from LSU fans or just people within the state of um, – what type of support maybe there would have been for Billy? Because I'd had people explain it to me, like even if he checks a lot of boxes, that would have been a hard hire to sell to the fan base because it'd be like Florida hiring FAU's coach or USF's coach. Um, so I just want to get your thoughts on, on that. No, you nailed it. I mean, like that's exactly how it would have been viewed. Um, forget the fact that he's a Nick Saban, you know, tree guy. He's been around. He's been nationally known as a recruiter um and he's run a program and run it at a power five level i mean you look back at what ul did and their recruiting staff and their facilities and doing some of the things that they did in lafayette i mean he knows kind of how to run a power five program so first of all i, I don't really think he was in the top poor, you know pool of candidates I, I don't think he ever really got a shot um and you know for a lot of the reasons you guys mentioned but I do think that, you know, him being a national guy, 
he was more of a national guy, in my opinion, that happened to be at UL rather than a, a Louisiana guy that, uh, you know, had really settled in there, uh, at least from how I kind of looked at him. And, and maybe sure. that's how he covered his or he uh, ran his program. Um, I got a chance to, you know, cover a lot of, uh, you know, recruits that were at UL back when we were at 24-7. I was kind of running the Raging Cajuns site from a recruiting perspective, so dealt with them a lot. Um, and, and I think, yeah, they're going to be compared. They're going to be um you know kind of lined up against each other just because there was a portion of the fan base that said look at what he's doing right down the road look at the evaluations they've made in louisiana to get some of these guys that ended up going pro i mean osiris torrance is now you know playing for the gators um you know think guys like that and um and they have an offense that you know moved the ball and and did all those things they played hard so I think some of it made sense. Some of it might not have. I think if they would have missed on Brian Kelly, he probably would have gotten a shot, um, you know, because they had gone hunting after Jimbo, hunting after Lincoln Riley, um, obviously went after Brian Kelly. But, uh, you know, Billy was probably, you know, getting close to being next up. So sure. um, I, I think he's going to do just fine at Florida, uh, just like I think Brian Kelly's going to do just fine at LSU. And I think, you look at it right now and they're probably just both really good hires, you know, for each program at the time. And, and I've told our, our fans, whether they wanted to hear it or not, I, I don't think if LSU picks up the phone that Billy Napier is the head coach at, at Florida. Agreed. Um, and, and Florida fans don't want to hear that because they don't want to be uh, someone's second choice, especially to, to a rival. But I think that's just the case. And, but and, is Billy like motivated by that? You know, do you think that there's I some think, extra motivation going into this week? Because he high level Division one coaches, even as nice as Billy comes off, they're crazy. They're narcissists. You have to be that to be successful at this level. There's got to be at some point chip it, on the it's shoulder somewhere in his mind. I'll show you. You should have sent that contract. And and every year we play you, I'm, I'm going to show you why you should have sent the contracts. So I think and, and there's a bunch of guys. I mean Jabar Luke. Um, I can't imagine. I, I still am not used to seeing Corey Raymond in orange and blue. Um, never thought Corey Raymond would leave Baton Rouge. There's a bunch of guys on this on this. Rob program. Sale, Rob well, Sale. former There's Tiger. A bunch of guys in this program. Yeah. Um, that you know are from Louisiana or spent good portions of their career in Louisiana. How did? Yeah, Corey absolutely. Raymond I think I, I, I think you guys nailed it. I mean, and, and Jabbar was you know somebody that that was at LSU. So. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they really, I think there is a lot of that. There's a sense of that, that, you know, competitiveness. I mean, there's, you know, guys in the recruiting department that have recruited Louisiana and, you know, probably should have, you know, gotten a look at LSU when, you know, they all went through the changes too. So, um, I, I think it's that natural competitiveness that'll come across. And, uh, it's a game that both teams have circled, no doubt. Um, and maybe even more so now. Uh, from the Florida side with, with all those things that you guys mentioned. I mean, a lot of the times over the last however many couple of years, you know, Rob Sale's been, people have been beating the drum for him to be the offensive line coach at LSU. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at the very least. So, um, you know, a, a, as far as he goes, I mean, that's something that, look, I mean, you mentioned Florida fans aren't going to like to hear that about, you know, Billy Napier might have taken LSU over Florida or whatever. Rob Sale, you know, if there is ever a change at, at the offensive line spot at LSU, you know, he's going to be on the list and it, it wouldn't be surprising if, if, you know, he ended up back there. So um, these two teams, just, there's always something about, about the two <laughs> programs, uh, not just from the rivalry standpoint, but the, there's plenty more storylines as always. And, you know, Corey Raymond, you know, had a great run at LSU. And, I mean, every offseason he kind of flirted, 
you know, with, with, with other programs, other schools, always got his pay bump. Um, and, and maybe it was just time uh, for him to, to try something new. Now, b- b- just a quick sidebar, because you mentioned um, covering the recruiting a little bit for the Raging Cajuns. How much did you do with Jacob LaFrance? Um, and that's a guy with more LSU ties from Baton Rouge, graduated from LSU and spent uh, several years in their recruiting department. Um, just w- what was your kind of uh, interactions with him and, and just the job that he does as the DPP? Yeah, awesome, awesome guy. I mean, from an evaluation standpoint, you look at what UL did when they were there, and they were at a very, very high level. I mean, a, they had a great hit rate on, on a good bit of those Louisiana guys that they evaluated, and, and just overall, too. I mean, they've just done a really good job, um, and, and a lot of that success that Billy and them had over there is due to guys like Jacob in, in that you know department um, and, and the way they – uh, just ran it first class all the way. I mean, I went up there and got to, you know, meet with them, you know, right when I got the job and, and kind of you know, talk to them about, okay, what are, what are, how do you guys uh, allow media to cover camps or this or that and, and, and things like that. So, um, you know, it's always nice to be, to be welcome as media, hmm. you know, recruiting is always one of those things that, you know, you, uh, you can't, you can't really get into too many specifics sometimes. And, uh, those guys do a nice job of you know making sure that the department is protected, well run, all those things. But um, they just ran it in first class way with with dealing with media as well. So yeah, they, he's uh, mentioned him you know with LSU for a reason. Probably somebody that that should should have really deserved a look uh, to join that department too. Now, obviously, uh, this matchup, I think uh, Florida fans certainly have had it circled on their schedule and. Um, you know, LSU's coming off its second loss. Uh, first, they opened the season with the loss to Florida State. Uh, and, and I think to a team that we now have learned is, is kind of improved a little bit under Mike Norvell. But uh, just your take on how the season has played out, how they rebounded from that loss, and then obviously the way last week went, there's a lot of teams that are going to get beat by Tennessee this year. Yeah, Tennessee's a really good football team. And, and look, I mean, LSU was without – Will Campbell, their left tackle, Garrett Dellinger got hurt, you know, so that offensive line was just in a bad way. Uh, they can't run the football right now at all. The good news is they're going to have Will Campbell back at left tackle. That should, in theory, help. Um, you know, last week was was pretty poor, especially, you know, the way special teams started out. Uh, you can't spot a team like Tennessee points like that right off the bat, whether you're at home or on the road. And, you know, they're going to have to f- start fast against Florida. They're going to try that you know, have to take the, the crowd out of the game. Uh, that's obviously something that every team that heads into the swamp wants to do. And LSU, for whatever reason, just hasn't been able to do that this year. I think this is a team that we're looking at, and, and like we kind of talked about earlier, maybe not as talented just overall with the high-end players as maybe we thought, um, or players that can take that next step um, and really kind of, you know, help Brian Kelly in his first year take it to a level that, um, not necessarily competing for SEC championships, but, you know, we're looking at this team now that, that sits at four and two, probably going to end up going to a bowl game, but, you know, is, is six and six on the table is, you know, seven and five more of their sweet spot. You know, if everything would have come together really well, you're still looking at a team that could have been a nine ish win, you know, team, uh, but it just hasn't come together perfectly, especially in all phases for 60 minutes on a consistent level. 
for sure. Now, obviously, you know, when you think about this matchup to to uh, premier quarterbacks, uh, what's been your impressions of uh, Jaden Daniels, you know, his teammate uh, from Arizona State, Ricky Pearsall, we get to cover him here at UF. Uh, he said they've been doing a little trash talking uh, this week, but um, what, have you, what have you thought of Jaden and kind of what, what has he brought to that quarterback position for LSU? You know, I, I think obviously the Auburn game was a tough one as far as the passing game goes, and then Jaden gets hurt. Um, you know, I think with the offensive line situation, him being able to run has been critical. Um, you know, him being able to extend plays, he hasn't been dynamic uh, by any means, you know, for the most part. Uh, but I do think with his ability to run, he gives LSU the best chance to win. And, and right now, that's they, they needed that. And I think they knew that going in that, you know, hey, the offensive line is probably going to be a work in progress. Um, I think they've started something like five different combinations now. Whew. So they, they are toying, tinkering, all of those things uh, with that offensive line. And it's not something you want to do uh, in the middle of SEC play. So with Jaden Daniels, though, I mean, I think, I think part of it is receivers not creating separation. Other times we're not seeing him get the ball out on time to open receivers, um, which is all, which are all things that over the last couple of years at Arizona state, you know, since his freshman year ended that he's shown. So he's probably about what, what you kind of expected. I, I thought he would be a little bit better, but he also hasn't had a run game to help him at all. Um, so that's that's a key piece of that. I thought the run game would be a little bit better with John Emery um, and, and Noah Kane and Josh Williams and guys like that, but it just hasn't come together. Um, so the offensive line has really kind of held this team back, and the, the lack of a real effective blocking and pass-catching tight end that they've had at times in the past is also hurting them too because for Brian Kelly and Mike Denbrock, you know, the tight end is key. They, they really use that position to kind of extend, um, you know, the offensive line as well as be an extra threat in the pass game. They just haven't had that much of that. And that's something you see at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly's had some tremendous tight ends, um, maybe something that you'll get eventually once you can start recruiting. Um, but the big thing for me is Jaden's running ability and Florida's inability so far to be able to uh, contain um, so that's a, a key for me this week is how does Florida keep him in the pocket? I think almost if, if Florida loses this game and Jaden Daniels throws for 400 yards and six touchdowns, Florida's like, okay, we kept him in the pocket and <laughs> we, we forced him to beat us with his arm and he did. Sure. We didn't see it happening, but we made him beat us that way. So I think that's Florida's game plan going in. Create, make him one dimensional, keep him in the pocket, make him beat us with his arm. And if he does, Cool. We're not happy about losing, but we didn't get beat by him running for 200 yards, which he's very capable of. Yeah, I, I think I think so. I mean, that is I think for LSU to win, you know, one, they have to have a, a game from Jaden Daniels. They have to have him be effective at taking care of the football, which he has been uh, this season. You know, he really has, has been excellent in that regard. But they need him to make some explosive plays. And sometimes that takes some risk too. Um, honestly, I, I could, you know, I'd you'd almost rather him take some risks, take some shots that, that can really turn the offense into a more explosive, you know, producing unit. Right. Uh, but right now they're, they're not necessarily doing that. And, and he's been a little, I would say timid with some of the opportunities to make explosive plays. So they're going to need him to step up in, in terms of really, uh, making big plays down the field and, and things like that. 
Well, good news for LSU. Florida loves giving up explosive plays. Yes. Seem to do it uh, pretty well. <laughs> defense, defense is very good at doing that. In the secondary especially. Yeah. Um, and, and then on the defensive side, uh, a final question for you, Billy. Um, what was your impression of Anthony Richardson last season on the road in Death Valley, and how do the Tigers defend him this year better than they did in 21? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Anthony Richardson, somebody that going into this year, you heard like the hype around, it, he takes that next step. He's going to be this like top 10 type draft pick. And I mean, you don't want to ever base things off one game, but I was like, all right, really? Is he going to take like that much of a step? Um, and, and part of that was kind of where, where you know, Florida just didn't get that next step from him uh, when I watched him against LSU. And when they needed him the most, and I, I think, look, I mean, coming off of that that Tennessee game, you know, there's a chance that Anthony Richardson goes off against LSU. I mean, there there's a real you know chance for that. Uh, but I, I think Matt House, and one key thing that I'll say in terms of defending him is they've got B.J. Ojolari, they've got Ollie Gay, Savion Jones. Some of these defensive ends that they've got are really good, and not to mention Harold Perkins, the five star freshman. He didn't Florida fans know him. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they didn't play him much against Tennessee. And part of that was personnel. They, they have moved him to the Sam, which comes off the edge, rushes a lot. And they played a lot of nickel, so the Sam comes off. And everyone was like, come on, you've got to get this guy on the field. He's made play after play as a freshman. Um, you know, and a lot of the Auburn game comes to mind. Auburn is Auburn, but still, you're, you're out there, you're making plays and you're making an impact, and they doesn't play against Tennessee, um, but a couple snaps. This <laughs> week, we've been told he's going to play. He's going to be out there. And I think an athlete like that is key. I mean, Greg Penn, Micah Baskerville, um, you know, guys like that, Demario Tolan, who saw some snaps at linebacker in the middle, those guys just – aren't explosive athletes they're solid they're they're decent linebackers but they don't have you're not they're not Damone Clark they're not Devin White they're not some of these guys Duke Riley that we've seen over the years Harold Perkins has the potential to be that good um and you know a large part of that is because because he's that good of an athlete so I'm interested to see how the edge guys for LSU really affect Anthony Richardson um and try to you know shut shut him down because LSU is one of the better uh, past defending teams in the country, quite honestly, statistically. Um, and against a quarterback like Anthony Richardson, that's kind of a mixed bag. I, I think they'll have a, you know, a shot at, at, at slowing him down once again. Well, listen, we're, we're glad that we got a shot at you, Billy. Uh, really <laughs> appreciate the time and the insight. Uh, we're looking forward to this matchup. As Nick said, some always interesting or something weird. Something going to happen. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but something weird is going to happen. And, yeah, uh, always. As always, we will be covering it on the On3 Network uh, at Bengal Tiger and at Gators Online. Make sure you guys check out Billy's coverage. Uh, Billy, we appreciate the time and uh, looking forward to seeing how this plays out on Saturday, man. Same here, guys. Thanks for having me. And to all uh, my fellow Floridians out there, go Lightning. (laughs) All right. All right, well, that will do it for this week's episode. Appreciate McHubert for joining us in the previous segment. Appreciate Billy for his time now. And then uh, we'll be back with you guys next week to see how this thing plays out in the swamp. For Nick Del Torre, I'm Zach Albaverde. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.